Originally, I was asked to write about one of my favorite authors. What a difficult choice, but I picked Rachel Carson. Her book is considered to be science writing. Whatever genre we want to label this book, a manifesto, a love story, a marine biologist's field notebook, it matters little to me as it is an arduous pouring out of one's heart and a convincingly passionate art of storytelling, a story that moved a generation in America and beyond into action. This is for Earth Day. It is writing at its best. The author, Rachel Carson, the book is Silent Spring. While I normally resonate with the renegades and wordsmiths such as T. Corsican Boyle, Bukowski, Hunter S. Thompson, Tom Robbins, who I honored last time, today with Mother Earth being battered and being the battered wife that she seems to have become, the thankless and reviled provider who gives and gives until she is rendered anemic and almost empty, I felt compelled to share a light on a book that is timeless and still holds gargantuan weight and gives those who care great guidance on how to stop the man-made abuse we heap on our own life support system. This is the story that helped shape and herald in an environmental movement. Choosing Silent Spring did not win without some struggle. There are some contemporary science writers that make my mouth water and my heart race when I read them. Two that come to mind, Natalie Angier, a woman whose brain, wit, and humor cuts the confusing cloud of science away to reveal the layman all facets of the scary stuff and make it sensible and wanting more. I beseech you all, if you have not read anything by Natalie, Please, you are missing out on a wild romp. Then down the science rabbit hole I tumble. Should I consider Julia Witte? Both authors do our world a great service, but it was Rachel who set the bar for all of them. It is her book I often turn to for encouragement, wisdom, and solace. It is Rachel's character of spirit that I return to again and again. It is the well I drink from and the heroine I so much would love to be just a smidgen like when the world and all her woes come pressing down on me. Her words and even her appearance were delicate, woven with a compassionate and gracious skill that on occasion stumped her opponents who surely underestimated the message that she was preparing to deliver in this book. A message as ferocious as any mother's warding off danger to its young, so relentless in detail and scientific exposure that her voice would sound a loud enough call to wake up a large enough section of America along with it. No one could ever again, once awakened, look at our planet and what we do to it as a species now that the veil of ignorance or innocence had been lifted the same. With grace and powerful evidence, Rachel pulled back the curtain of Oz for us to see the ugly hand attached to humanity, whether it be corporations or commoner. If we kept silent, then we were complicit in our own demise and poisoning of the planet. Our lifestyle and our need for more and more and more was killing our planet's living systems at a rapid pace. And of course, today, the march continues. 
What makes this book particularly even more extraordinary is the time in which it was written. With any author, the era of political climate they lived in and wrote in gives us a great deal of information about them as a woman and a scientist, no less, who was able to get things published in the 50s may seem a small undertaking, but it was monumental. What she discovered as a field scientist, a biologist, and a marine biologist while working for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service shocked her and led her to be an advocate for the living things that could not defend nor speak for themselves. Here, it doesn't hurt to say that not all scientists, nor people who discover truths, have the courage to tell them. And it is, of course, because of telling them, as we can see today, it comes at a great personal price. This was no less true for Rachel. With great odds, power, and financials stacked against her, she stood her ground. Her understanding of science and biology, coupled with her conviction that this knowledge must be revealed, drove her to continue when others may have conceded defeat. She exposed to us the naive position that our world is segmented and compartmentalized, and that what we do makes no difference. We are disconnected, was our belief. She showed us the fallacy of trying to say one thing by killing many was worse than myth. Pesticides used to poison one critter is like the futile effort of plucking plastic out of our oceans today, expecting not to disrupt entire ecosystems. It is just not possible. While birds went the way of poison, along with the bugs, now our bees and butterflies, floras, pollinators are in such decline, we must take Rachel's message to the highest mountaintops and scream. We must do what she did in the early 60s when she began to expose the civilian population <clears throat> and to the civilian population that what happens to one thing will most certainly affect another. In doing so, she helped show us the beauty and interconnectedness of the webs of life and the dire consequences of what happens when we foolishly disregard that wisdom. Clearly, this is an ongoing battle to this day, and to have enough of us realize that what we do actually has an effect on the world around us. In other words, if you shit in Africa, it will end up in your own backyard somewhere in America. Or if you have a nuclear plant spill in Japan, it ends up on the shores of California or on your dinner table. That Rachel Carson was reviled by huge chemical and pesticide companies, along with a growing agribusiness after World War II, should come as no surprise to us. Her warnings began to show a population that had pretty much bought the American dream hook, line, and sinker, just how high the stakes were for these new and powerful corporations, companies that had been born and expanded during the war. The public began to see that some companies would do just about anything to make their bottom line even if that line crossed was neither ethical or sustainable for a healthy planet. Mention her name to a Monsanto or Dow executive today and you will still get a very negative response. While she began to publish and talk about her findings on the dangers of pesticides, DDT in particular, she was ridiculed, dismissed, and threatened. When that didn't shut her up, <clears throat> she had the Full Monty of full mo fear-mongering thrown at her. Rachel never married, so of course she was called a lesbian, as if that mattered, or if that was some kind of insult. And of course she was 
called a communist, a traitor to her country. And had she been alive today, she would have certainly been called a terrorist because after all, if you don't like chemicals, oil, and the complete marching band of toxic monsters, then you must be un-American and working against national security. There was no women's movement at the time, no effective birth control, no right to choose, and certainly no equal pay when Rachel was working on Silent Spring. In general, if women went to college at all, often they went to find a better pedigree of husband and to better become the good woman behind that husband. So that Rachel had a degree, did not have a husband, nor a movement to stand with her while she worked to publish her book shows us her tremendous conviction and a courage so profound that she was able to tap into a wellspring of it while being mesmerized by the beauty and the diversity of all living things she encountered. The deep reverence for all the fascinating living things she studied would fortify her to weather the obstacles that were to come. Watching the living flora and the fauna die, knowing why it was happening and not speaking up was unconscionable and unacceptable for her. And because I have read her book and understand it, I have been shown just that to stand by quietly watching as the dying of our flora and fauna takes place as a result of our lifestyle today is unacceptable to me as well. That to remain silent, to give up is as criminal or certainly as cowardly as any act by those who perpetrate it. Complacency and cynicism, a recipe for paralysis and failure, something we as a species in total have never accepted. Her book, took longer than she had hoped to complete due to her own ill health. She persevered and refused to die until it was finished. A little over a year after Silent Springs publication, Rachel Carson died of breast cancer. Her will and determination is one that is difficult to not admire and be irrevocably inspired by. A heart so generous, its rhythm can still be felt today. And when I am reminded that out of the animal kingdom, it is only mankind who has been able, other than Mother Nature herself, to alter, transform, enhance, and more often than not, disrupt, destroy our environment. It is Rachel Carson whose words I turn to. And when I find that science is under attack or downright suppressed, so that the world's citizens are kept ignorant or silent or confused to the plight of our flora and fauna, many that are sick and dying, causing me to lose heart and courage because of these unspoken truths that seem too difficult to tell and insurmountable to overcome. Again, it is Rachel who plucks up my sporting blood. Just as the letters that asked Rachel back in the very early 60s, what could be done? A reader calls out, I recall some of Rachel Carson's words, and they soothe me, and they shore me up, and I know where then does the responsibility lie. It lies with me. It lies with you. Who is it to sing a song loudly for our winged family, to speak loudly and clearly in defense of all things living, whether we recognize a value in them or not? I know it is my voice and my song that must be sung for those who cannot speak for themselves. And for the very mother that has sustained all of us, Mother Earth, she has this to say, 
In an age when man has forgotten his origins and is blind even to his most essential needs for survival, water, along with other resources, has become the victim of his indifference. Miss Carson wrote this at a time when there was no certainty that what she was saying would make print to paper, let alone be welcomed into a modern world that felt invincible. And yet, one voice added to another and to, then to another, giving rise to the vocal orchestra that changed the wind's direction <clears throat> and brought a little time for us, gave us some breathing room to learn more and have more time to gain our strength and fight. If your heart breaks open from the state of affairs today and you need a little lift, if you've never read another thing on the environment, Rachel Carson's book should be your Bible. We are told, and too often we are under the spell of the falsehood of our own powerlessness, that what we do or say does not matter. Certainly what we do matters. And what we do not do causes great harm when we know better. And what we do without conscience creates harm from the smallest acts to the largest and most destructive. That we can see. So then it is easy to not see the good. It is easy to believe doing nothing will not hurt or will not make change. Nothing could be more wrong. Inaction is leaving the arena open for only those who act. Often what we do or say is not so apparent. So it must be noted that the opposite is true, that what we do with great courage and awareness, even if it feels like the most feeble and futile act added in its mighty numbers, hits a critical mass. So even a single small act has great residuals. To conclude in my homage to this most spectacular woman on Earth Day, I will quote a portion from her book, this is someone asking Rachel what to say or do. From chapter 8, And No Bird Sings, in quotes. After several years of DDT spraying, the town is almost devoid of robins and starlings. Chickadees have not been on my shelf for two years. And this year the cardinals are gone too. The nesting population in the neighborhood seems to consist of one dove pair and perhaps one catbird family. It is hard to explain to the children that the birds have been killed off when they have learned in school that a federal law protects the birds from killing or capturing. Will they ever come back? They ask. And I do not have the answer. The elms are still dying and so are the birds. Is there anything being done? Can anything be done? Can I do anything? And I weep that we are still asking these questions today, multiplied by the measure of 10. And yet we know that they must be answered. Yes, I will add my voice and speak for the voiceless. I will speak for the winged beauties and the waterways and the watersheds and the oceans and her multitudes of life. Yes, Rachel. I will add my voice and speak for our mother so that all of her children can sing.